and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers Toolshed. Feels like a little bit of a, a while since we've done this, JM. What's yeah, I don't going? think any, I don't think so much longer than before. Um, it's just been, I think time has slowed because of all that's going on. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's only so much you can do in the flat, isn't there? You'd be surprised. Why, I, like, because like in this particular time, it's so like uh, handy to have a hobby like writing, reading, things like that. Uh, yeah. What wonderful things you can forward. do all by yourself, stuck in your own head. Just don't fish, yeah. don't go too far. <laughs> I know. And one of the great things as well, it's been so refreshing to see uh, like a massive increase in people reading books. Like we're talking like 20, 25% jump in book sales. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't heard that. That's, yeah. that's good. So, so, I mean, if any writers listening, get your books out there on, on special offer. Take advantage of it. Get get the... Uh, because I, it, when, when things go back to normal, I don't know whether anyone's going to carry on reading or whether it's just going to go back to Netflix binges. Yeah, everybody... Uh, all the video of the, the folks at the beach today, uh, I didn't see anybody with a book. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. So, uh, but as well, a lot of people have started writing as well. Like there's been a massive increase in the number of people sending novels to agents and publishers. So people are finding the time to do things that they've always wanted to do and reading and writing's yeah. up there. So I thought this this uh, episode, we both agreed, didn't we, that writing rules or so-called writing rules would be a good topic to, to tackle. Yeah, and I think um, this one will not be as uh, scripted as some of our past ones. Um, we're just going to kind of organically talk through a couple of the common quote-unquote writing rules, um, what we agree with and what we disagree with. Yeah, it seems quite strange talking about rules uh, when it comes to something so inherently creative. Which is like it's the whole point of like creativity is to have a freedom to explore. So to be constrained by rules seems a bit counterproductive. There, there, there's a fine line between creativity and expectation, and I think that the rules come from not not limiting your creativity, but the reader's expectation and what what. English readers are expecting to see and what they're comfortable with because if you yeah by all means you can you can break the rules and you can do do weird things with your prose but the more creative you get with your actual text the visualness of your text uh the more chance you have of turning off your readers yeah exactly so it's not it's like the form like people play around with the form so much the traditional form um, I mean, I don't know if, if it's reached you over in South Korea there, but have you heard of Normal People by Sally Rooney? Mm, not offhand, no. No, well, it's it's taken everything. It's like you call it the uh, Fifty Shades of Sligo, so like Fifty Shades of Grey kind of thing. But it's um, <laughs> the novel itself is it's it's a brilliant book uh, by an Irish writer called Sally Rooney, and she doesn't use like speech marks or. Uh, really does play around with dialogue and form and it, it won all kinds of awards. Yeah, uh, that I mean, seems to be get, getting the more 
like the, the the novels that do challenge the traditional form do seem to be um winning the awards and getting a lot of the attention there was another book there called the Essex serpent it probably came out a couple of years ago and it's just one long sentence the, the author just uses commas throughout and it's, it's strange but yeah i mean literary authors manipulating form has been a thing for the longest time but that i mean that works for literary authors uh the people listening to this podcast are probably not literary authors we're all genre authors and we're a little bit more confined by our market and our audience who are expecting something straightforward so yeah if you want to write a a literary novel in order to win awards and not necessarily sell books yeah you can write a book that's a one entire sentence with commas but yeah that's not going to work for a fantasy novel so that's kind of the fine line that we have to we have to walk is that we have a we have a specific audience expectation in genre fiction that literature big l literature doesn't have that same expectation because their their expectation is actually that they are going to mess with form and and convention do you reckon fantasy will change though in that regard with its growing popularity john and things like game of thrones lord of the rings like a massively commercial um i i don't know i don't know I don't know if form is going to change so much. I mean, definitely content and theme and, and ideas. Um, form has changed a bit. I mean, you have a mess of different types of formats, like epistolary books and books that use footnotes. Uh, speaking of which, my current work in progress is both of those. Um, Interesting. Some manipulation of form and format. But at the end of the day, the readers are coming to a fantasy novel for a story and a concept and a character rather than than looking at the structure of the text yeah it would be i mean obviously in an ideal world it would be nice to manipulate the form it's in a unique way to, that enhances the text as well i mean I, what we've done with the epigraphs i mean Epigraphs aren't a common thing in in books, and I quite like. I mean, I think Brandon Sanderson uses them in Mistborn, mm-hmm. um, and I like them in that. And when I was talking to you about it, I thought, yeah, let's do that as well. And what we've done is is tell a, a different story related to the novel, the main story, of the novel, in the form of an epigraph, and that enhance it it gives you a different perspective and a little bit more um to build the picture of the the overall story Uh, i don't know i thought we did it in a good way yeah i mean Uh, when i so when i came up with doing the epigraphs for all of the of metal and magic stuff uh it was the idea was a meta story that that connects all the different series and different novels that all of our authors are writing um are kind of get kind of meshed together and interact through these little epigraphs that come at the beginning of each episode. But in addition, it's a, so it's a, it's a, it's a universe wide meta story that, that syncs all of the authors, different works together. But it also, yeah, like you said, it creates a parallel story to the book, the, the, the specific book that those epigraphs are coming in. 
And uh, with my work, with my work in progress, the fierce, I've kind of been messing with that idea a lot more. So the way that the, the way that my book is currently structured, it, it kind of has four different layers. So each episode begins with uh, a letter written by a sociologist who is examining, uh, who's studying uh, uh, one of the Plains tribes who, who have ancient roots. And then the second layer is the kind of the dawn of time period where he is uh, translating a oral history of a legendary figure, kind of like a Geng Genghis Khan, Hercules type figure. And mm -hmm. the third layer is in between those two time frames, he's referencing historical documents that, that fall in between to kind of fill in the gaps of the narrative. And then the fourth layer is in the myth, the myth has, and this is something that I've just introduced, the myth has a bunch of parables that the characters are, are telling these parable stories to, to kind of uh, convey their, their kind of moral philosophy. So you, you see that a lot in like the Greek myths and in uh, uh, things like uh, Arabian Nights, which is, I just finished the Arabian Nights. So kind of borrowing that concept. So you have four different mm. kind of temporal layers all over overlapped different types of text being interact and interacted with. And it's all being for, it's all being kind of meshed together by the point of view of the modern, the modern scholar. So there's footnotes as he's analyzing and annotating these different, uh, different texts and different layers. It's, it's very academic. It's yeah. So, yeah, I mean, even within fantasy, you can do some structural stuff, but it's still, it's still trying to be one cohesive kind of narrative. Well, two parallel narratives. Um, yeah. Are you going to try and make a new subgenre there than academic fantasy? I, I think I would call it epistolary still, <laughs> even though it's not all letters. It is, it is all secondary text. So, yeah. So I think when we, we think about writing rules, there's always, I don't know about you, but when I started out, you'd always like, I need to get better. So I Google how to, how do you improve? How do you improve your writing? How do you get, become a better writer? And you always ended up on, on those do's and don'ts lists. What you know, you know what I'm talking about anyway. Yeah. And don't, I, don't, top 10 got, don'ts in writing. Don't, 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 don't. Yeah. And they're, 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 absolutist in their certainty yeah i think it's just misguided really i mean obviously they just they want you to become a help you become a better writer but it's it can be counterproductive because i know so many writers uh who have followed these rules or try to follow them and then run into massive con conflicts within the writing or contradictions and it it just causes the frustration it's like well i've been told never to do this but um, this particular part of my story would be better if it went against that. But this is partly, is, is, I don't know, it causes frustration and confusion. I, I think the rules are useful. I think, th so the, so your, your basic list of common writing rules, which are things like show, don't tell, avoid adjectives and adverbs, don't use the passive voice, um, 
don't uh, info dump and all those types of writing rules. That's like writing 101. That's the groundwork. And, yeah. you know, like, like learning any skill, you, you, learn, you learn kind of the, a very structured kind of format first and you have to get that down. And yeah. then you can start manipulating it and messing it with it and bending the rules. So I think, you know, this is the fantasy writer's tool shed. So I'm assuming that most people who are tuning in here um, have some experience with writing. So you learn the rules first, and then you get to the step that we're going to kind of work on today is knowing, understanding the nuance of some of these rules. When should you, you know, what are the, what are the, the right and left limits, as we say in the military? Um, yeah. Uh, when do you follow it and when can you modify it? When can you break it? Um, in writing 101, they're just going to give you the rule because they're just trying to get you to, to, to build a, you know, build your writing with some sort of basic structure. They don't, ex they don't explain to you what the purpose of the rule is. And I think, I think that's the problem is a lot of people and I've met, and I've met a lot of editors who have been hard nosed about these rules and and have either sent me back comments or sent me back rejections without analyzing the usage and the reason why yeah. I was breaking the rules, especially like adjectives and and, and adverbs and stuff. Um, yeah. You, you have to understand that there's a purpose to all these rules. And when you understand the purpose, then you can understand uh, how you can bend them and how you can, when you can violate them without bothering your reader. Yeah. It's often the case is it's no one the no when to use the right one at the right time right yeah um so on the back of this not long ago did a bit of research um uh, i think it was around the time that american writer jonathan franzen he had this list of top t top 10 writing rules or whatever and um everyone just kicked off about it yeah there's a lot of hate type. i've got one one of the the funniest things i think i've ever seen written you know what i mean yeah. this is one of the rules this i think this is number 10 you have to love before you can be relentless <laughs> I mean, not, 10 10 rules of writing you know what i mean it's got absolutely nothing to do with writing yeah. so that's why i think everyone kicked off and um but yeah, it was around this time I thought, well, I wonder what everyone hates, what rules the writers actually hate. So yeah. I ended up getting about well, nearly 200 responses. So speaking of your list, what uh, what came out on top? So passive voice. Never used a passive voice that came out on top. That had 37 votes. Um, so it's clear that that is a pain in the ass for everyone. And it's also, I've got a guide on passive voice and active voice on my web blog and that's one of the um my most popular articles so it is a big problem for a lot of people and it's something that we'll discuss in more detail in a little while won't we yeah also near the top uh, excessive use of adjectives that had 25 votes and um, linked to that i suppose is adverbs that was after that came next with 18 never start a sentence with i mean that's one that i come across a lot it's just like we'll start a sentence with whatever you want. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Show don't tell. That's always up there. Um flashbacks. I mean <laughs> I see a lot of hate against flashbacks. 
think they can work if you use them well. There's different ways. Depends, you can yeah, use it's always, it always depends, right? So for this uh, this episode, we're going to look at just three of these because just for time, all right? And we're going to look at passive voice because that was your number one, and we're going to look yeah, at uh, passive voice adjectives and adverbs together because they, you know, they're very similar. They do similar things and they they get misused in the same way. And then we'll look at show don't tell just because this is a fantasy uh, podcast and show don't tell is a big fantasy issue because you have to explain things. So how do you explain things without uh, info dumping? So show don't tell and info dumping go together. Yeah. I think show don't tell has become quite relevant as well. I was mentioning this to you before with the way people uh, sort of choosing to spend the sort of time um, with entertainment and things like that. So television and film has, has grown massively. So how does that affect how we write and how we deliver information? So yeah, yeah we'll talk about that as well. Um, so passive voice then. I think it's one I've always struggled with and it probably comes down to the fact that the way I talk and the way people from Liverpool talk um, is a lot of the words we use are passive. So we generally use like a lot of wazzes and stuff like that, where things like that. So for me, it's always been quite natural. And um, when, it, when I was writing, I was getting feedback and saying, oh, it's too much passive voice. So I was like, what's passive voice? This is normal. This is the way I talk. So it's going to be a while to get over it. Um, I think it's becoming more common in the way we talk. Uh, we use a lot of passive words generally, day-to-day -day language. So I think that's why a lot of people are struggling with it. Um, I mean, they've got a few comments here. When I did this poll, I took comments from people as well. So I'll read a couple out, which summarise quite nicely people's uh, attitude towards passive voice. This is one from Annie Davison. She said, passive voice, I hate the generic, never use passive voice advice. It's such bull. Passive voice has a place. It's just plain lazy to simply avoid it rather than learn it. It's a tool like any other. So that's what, kind of what we were saying before. Um, and uh, yeah, that summarizes it quite nicely. I mean, it isn't that straightforward, I don't think, to, to understand. What do you think? Do you reckon it's, were you okay getting your head around it? Um, why don't why don't we start? Why don't you explain what passive voice is, just to lay down the ground? Yeah. So passive voice is generally sentence written in the passive voice is one in which the action is being done to the subject of the sentence. So generally, um, prose written in active voice is more immediate and immersive because when it comes to active voice, uh, the subject of the sentence is performing the verb. Is, is carrying out the action. So the action is usually received by an object which comes after the action in the sentence and construction. So, for example, Layla knocked the arrow. Uh, so Layla is the subject. Knocked is the verb. And the arrow is the object. So the passive version of that would be the arrow was knocked by Layla. So Layla knocked the arrow the arrow was knocked by Layla. What what you reckon sounds better just from a sound perspective of, of how it sounds? What do you think there, JM? Yeah, so, I mean, 
it's it the the active voice Layla knocked the arrow sounds better and I, I think that comes from you know general structure of English English as a language is a, a subject verb object sentence structure so that's what we're used to and when you change the uh, the grammatical structure around of the sentence it it maybe it requires a little bit more brain power to figure it out and to to co to comprehend what's being said so that's probably why active voice is a little bit more immediate faster smoother um yeah it grabs you as well like when yeah. you're reading at the it, it seems like a subtle thing and it is quite subtle but it's it has a massive effect on the the prose generally um and it's publishers and the like generally prefer stories written in active voice. If your if your prose has, has got a lot of passive voice and you send it to an editor, generally they'll come back and say, ditch the passive voice. Oh. So William Strunk Jr., it, it gets referred to as um, quite often when it comes to discussions of rules of writing. Um, and he talks about passive voice in that. And even... Strunk says, this rule does not, of course, mean that the writer should entirely disregard the passive voice, which is frequently convenient and sometimes necessary. So, Does he explain would... why it's necessary, though? Yeah, well, this is what we're going to do now. Uh -huh. explain. He's quite vague, Strunk. I mean, the book is like a pamphlet, to be honest. It's not really a book. It's very short. It doesn't really go into much detail. But that's why we're here, JM, to... Mm -hmm. Plug, plug the gaps um and then if you if you do come across situations where you you have got a lot of passive voices uh examples of passive voice in your text there are a few quick ways to fix it um so one thing as a starting point it's not always a hard and fast rule but i always look out for certain words in sentences which could su sort of suggest it, it might be passive so i don't know if you're familiar with these jm but we've got been, am, be, are, was, to be, where, is, are, or being. So if sentences contain them words, there's a chance they might be passive. So just have a look out. And then. So uh, interestingly, most of those words that you mentioned, so be, was, being, those are all uh, what we call the copula verb. So the, the way that, the B verb works in English is it's comparing two things. So A was B means, you know, A equals B. So when you're using the part of, when you're using a passive voice, instead of having an action verb where an action is going on, when you're using the passive voice, the, the subject noun of the, of the sentence is basically just being compared to something else. So yeah. the man was tall versus the man was punched by Bill. They're both doing the same grammatical function. They're just comparing uh, the, the subject of that verb with a state of being. Uh, it's just the man was punched by Bill. That state of being incorporates an action. And you can change that by focusing instead of the, instead of focusing on the state of being you can focus on the actual action and you can say bill punched the man and yeah. then you have an action sentence that just has more oomph so that's yeah. why a, a lot of your linking the the linking verbs that you're uh 
that you've listed are all, all they're all be verbs for the most part, right? Be was to be being. Um, they all do the same function. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there you have it. So I think what most people get wrong about the passive voice is they don't understand um, what's the fundamental difference between an active voice sentence and a passive voice sentence. Um, what's the difference between the man was punched by Bill and Bill punched the man? Um, yeah. Those who have, those who have, have, you know, been had the passive voice, no passive voice rule drilled into them will say, well, it's obvious one is active and one is passive. One has a, one has an action verb and one has a, a, a B verb. Um, but that's not also, that's not the only difference. The fundamental difference between those two sentences is the, 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 the grammatical subject of that sentence, the, the noun that is starting that sentence, the focus of that sentence. And that's where the nuance with passive voice comes in, at least for me. When thinking of the, the type of sentence, active or passive, that you want to use, it's important to figure, it's important to remember and to focus on what the focus of the sentence and what the focus of the paragraph is. If you're only using active voice, then your, your, your sentence subjects are going to jump around sporadically. Yeah. Instead of maintaining focus on one particular uh, noun, one particular object. So uh, the, I, I posted on my blog a while ago an example. So first I'm going to read a, a quick paragraph that is written with passive voice. And then I'm going to read the alternative of taking out the passive voice. <clears throat> okay. An arrow shot out from the slit in the wall like a bolt of lightning. It was spun around by the wind, hissing as it went. But suddenly it was snatched out of the air by a hound and delivered unceremoniously to its intended target. The lost arrow was broken in twain and left on the ground. So what is the focus of that paragraph? The arrow. The arrow. I'm focused on what's happening to the arrow, right? Now, if I change that, and, and of course, this is just something that I, that I wrote for the moment without thinking too much about it. So it's just an example. But if I change that example to completely active tense, here's what happens. An arrow shot out from the slit in the wall like a bolt of lightning. The wind spun it around, making it hiss. A hound caught it and delivered it unceremoniously to its target. A man broke the shaft in two and dropped it on the ground. So what's the difference between that sentence or that paragraph and the passive voice paragraph? In this new paragraph, I now have four subjects doing different things instead of focusing just on the arrow and what's happening to the arrow. And it's going to yeah. be confusing to the reader because all of a sudden in four sentences, I have a new subject, a new noun that's coming up and doing things instead of just focusing on that moment and focusing on that one object that I want to focus on. So that's the, to me, the fundamental difference between passive and active voice. It's, what are you focusing on? What is the subject, the focus point of that paragraph supposed to be? And if you're, if you're trying to, to zoom in on one particular object, then you're going to need passive voice because otherwise you're going to have to inject a whole bunch of another, a whole bunch of new um, uh, acting subjects to keep your active voice. That's yeah. to me the fundamental difference between active and passive voice is, is what are you talking about? 
Nice. Oh, that's a cracking explanation. There you are, folks. So next we're going to move on to adjectives and adverbs. And uh, yeah. This was one that I think I uh, struggled with again when I first started writing. So adjectives and adverbs, always one that crops up. Um, Stephen King in his book on writing, he harps on a good bit about adverbs. But then when you read one of Stephen King's novels, you find them littered with adverbs. So Do as I say, don't as not as I do. Yeah. So take that as you will. But uh, I think what I've found with adjectives and adverbs, it's how and when you use them. So you can't just constantly use adverbs because the problem is they do jar the flow. And when you read that text aloud, you can hear, hear it. It just doesn't sound good. And um, yeah, so it's all about using them in the right way. So I find when you're describing things like castles or landscapes or battle scenes and things like that, you, you, you can't not use adjectives but it's not about having like sort of free reign to use whatever adjective you want and however many you want you've got to use the right one that captures the the, the image you're trying to portray and same for adverbs i mean sometimes an adverb just works better than any other with any other words and I find as well, when you're using adjectives and adverbs, sometimes you save on words as well. So if you're in short stories, for example, if you've got a tight word count, you can use an adverb, cut two or three words out. So again, it's just all down to the situation. Um, what's your experience, Jim? So, yeah, it, I, my, my fundamental writing rule, and I think this kind of encompasses every, I think you can loop in most of these, these, writing rules into one thing uh efficiency efficiency is key and uh especially for someone with a a flash fiction background um you want to do the maximum amount of storytelling in the fewest amount of words so with adjectives and especially adverbs a lot of times it comes to word choice um, for example, especially with adverbs, something like, uh, you know, James ran quickly through the forest. You can replace ran quickly with uh, a whole variety of single word verbs, sprinted, bounded, uh, um, scurried, hurried, hurried. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, Nick crouched and, uh, walked quietly through the library nick snuck through the library crept through the library those two those two verbs kind of imply both crouching and moving slowly so a lot of it comes down to efficiency for adjectives um it's more so there can be efficiency in adjectives for example if you're if you're describing a castle wall and you say it's uh it was you know it was hard and stable wall you could just say firm you know the wall was firm yeah but a lot of it is considering 
just what amount of information you need to convey to your reader. Sometimes yeah. excessive detail is just not necessarily, like if I tell you there's a castle wall, I probably don't have to tell you it's hard. That's implied, <laughs> right? So there's a lot of information that's implied by just the nature of things. A wall is hard. Um, a person is squishy. Uh, you know, someone who is uh, slim is probably going to be also nimble. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of, you, you have to go through and, and figure out what is implied by the words I'm using, which negate the need for a lot of the adjectives and a lot of the description. Yeah. I find as well, sometimes a verb can replace the adjective and do a better job. Yes. Um, so one example I always think is, is quite illustrative is say, and say James was tall. Let's say James loomed above everybody else. Yeah. And loomed, loomed yeah. as a verb. So yeah. Have a little think about verbs as well. Um, yeah, verb is always preferable to an adjective. Uh, For in my, I don't know. I've had some bad experience with uh, adverbs and uh, adjectives and adverbs. Editors seem to be a lot of. There's a lot of editors that just just seem to be obsessed with uh, this rule of don't use adverbs and adjectives. I had one flash fiction piece rejected, and the uh the editor's comments were there were there were too many l y adverbs in the in the text, so it was in a thousand word story there were eight holy God there were eight l y adverbs, and going through them, I think there was two that i that I could have cut, but uh two or three of them were like the wolf rose slowly what what single word verb can you use to 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 swap out rose slowly what what verb is there that that means rose slowly it's flash fiction yeah but there 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 is there flash fiction there isn't there isn't a word one percent that's less than one percent of the word but the, the the but it's just not thinking through when you're when you're when you're highlighting your adjectives and adverbs, part of what you're doing is to see if there's a way to replace that language to something more efficient. But there's sometimes sometimes there's just no replacing an adverb. There's no alternative verb for rise slowly. Yeah. That's that's the only way you can convey that meaning that someone got up from the ground slowly is to say he rose slowly. There's no alternate verb. There's no sprint or or creep or loom. In that case, in that case, you have to ha you have to have the adverb to convey the meaning. So that's kind of where the the rule dies. Is is there's some some meanings that you don't convert into more efficient forms. So as you're going through and you're highlighting the adverbs and ad uh, and adjectives in your text, the thing you want to have in the back of your mind is: is there another way of of saying this that's more efficient? And if there is, make the change. But if there isn't, by all means, keep the adjective. Solid advice. Let's move on to the third and final one, show v tell. Yeah, show don't tell is a big one, uh, especially for fantasy fantasy and science fiction, genre fiction in general, just because uh, anytime you're world building, 
you have a lot of information to convey. So how do you do that? So the the ancient wisdom is show, don't tell. Right? Yeah. Um, telling being info dumping where the narrator is relaying the information. The it's not coming out through the action or through the behavior of the characters. It it's a problem in all writing. It appears in all writing, and it might be something as simple as uh, describing emotion. It comes up a lot in describing emotion, right? So, yeah. like James was angry, is a telling statement. I am telling you that James was angry. I can show that by saying James clenched his fist. Yeah, and now I have an action. So not only do I have an action, I have a an a action that's showing me something about this character, right? So when James gets angry, he clenches his fist. It's something that he does. It's characteristic to him. I've I've yeah. described the character. I've given you some action. Um, I've created some tension because, okay, he's angry and he's clenching his fist. What's going to happen now? Is he going to punch somebody? Whereas yeah. if I just say James is angry, I don't give you anything. I think psychologically as well for the reader, you engage with it more because you're like, well, you're trying to read that, that character's emotions. It's like when you're interacting with people in reality, you, you read in the facial expressions, the body language. It's, it's how we interact with people visually. It's just, it would be boring if, if, we, if we just had, everyone just said, oh, I'm pissed off, leave me alone. You know what I mean? So yes. we read thing into things, and again, as a reader, that's what you want. You want to be able to engage and draw your own conclusions, fill in the gaps. And I think I think in fantasy writing, you kind of have two two parallel show or show don't tell issues, and one is with world building, and one is with just kind of general uh, narrative. All writers like the general narrative uh, show don't tell rule kind of concept applies to all, all writers and it's it's like the example that i just gave um showing emotion but also something like uh um you know james realized his friend wasn't telling the truth you can you can show realization through an action right like uh you know james bit his lip or james his eyes you know his eyes went wide or something like that so Thinking and emotion, you can show that instead of telling it, but it's our habit. I think it's our habit to tell just because telling is more, more direct and quick. Um, yeah. But, but it's not as exciting and insightful for the reader. And then the bigger issue with fantasy writing is you get world building and, uh, and you get info dumping. So how do you um, show, how do you show versus tell your world building, that's a big problem. Um, and it really depends on what it is. But for example, uh, showing that a character is say a member of some sort of special organization, um, you wanna convey that this character is, is some sort of a, a knight of a, of a old order, right? How do you do that? Well, you can, you can go off on an info dump saying that the, the order of the Griffin was formed uh, 500 years ago. And uh, you know, their hmm. armor, you know, their, their symbol is the Griffin and it adorns their armor and they carry long swords and, and they wear plate mail and, 
you can just kind of dump all this information out or you could say something like uh you know rowan's aged plate mail creaked and he ran his hand across the the golden griffin that was uh carved into the metal so by by kind of having that visual image of him you know feeling his armor and and conveying that the armor is aged and then highlighting the kind of central image of that armor you're, you're conveying that it's a uniform it's old and the griffin is is key to it and you're conveying a lot of that same information you're not getting the exact age of the order but you are conveying that that guy he belongs to some sort of a group and there's some sort of, you know, it's old to some extent because his uniform is old and it has something to do with Griffin's and you're conveying a lot of that information just by, by showing, by, by showing an image as opposed to just narrating. Yeah. I think we are in a visual age now, like the likes of TV, film, YouTube, Netflix, everything is visual based on, with telling, it doesn't create the visual images that people enjoy and crave. And um, when we when we show a story through the likes of actions, we talk about world building. So how we reveal a world, we show it through um, visual in a visual way, naturally through the narrative by a character. Sort of, he could be dueling with someone else, and then as the the blade of his enemy is nicking against his, his old armor, we're revealing a bit more about, uh, say, his emblem gets chipped and things like that. So we're revealing details in a visual way rather than yeah, just this guy's been in, in a, a boring or bland way. We've got to create, it's the job of the writer more than ever now to create visual images in the reader's mind. And showing a story is a good way of achieving that and and, and same thing with um with like uh cult, you know reviewing culture and reviewing um points of view uh I, I i just watched the fellowship of the ring again and uh i don't i don't think they ever really fully describe like the dwarves and like the dwarves are the this this ancient yeah. proud race that that are you know they're really kind of proud and almost to the point of being arrogant but you get to the point where gimli says nobody tosses a dwarf and you get yeah. that you get that in one line you get that okay these guys are proud of themselves they're stubborn they're like you get so much cultural insight just from that one line that's show not tell the difference yeah. between a paragraph of exposition of exposition versus a one line in dialogue and like you said, yeah, it comes it comes from a visual visual medium. I think film and and TV uh, have kind of developed our our habit of of, of um, digesting story. And one thing you see a lot now that comes from TV and film is the use of dialogue for world building and for telling. Yeah. Um, so instead of having uh, a block of exposition where the narrator is just telling you the history. Um, you have some of that revealed in the dialogue exchange between the characters. Like the problem. So the, the problem these days is that that almost has become the default telling mechanism is I'm not, I'm absolutely not going to have any exposition. So I'm just going to find a way to shoehorn it in 
into dialogue, even though it doesn't make sense. So yeah. you want to be careful with telling through dialogue to not have the dialogue become unnatural, just to force yeah. in your world building. Yeah. So you always say it when like, uh, like really low budget films. So like the scripts being hashed together and there's just like a really load of obvious tell info dumping within dialogue. I mean, with films and TV, it's difficult. Like you've got to use dialogue to dump a load of information unless you use some sort of narrator. But yeah, it's just so cringeworthy when you see it. Like, so you do need to spend a bit of time thinking of ways to naturally introduce the detail and show the detail, reveal the world. Um, otherwise, readers just to get really annoyed, I find, when you just obviously dump it all in front of them. But, th- but that's not to say never tell. It's just yeah. you got to know when, when to do it, right? And don't, don't info dump in your first chapter of a new fantasy work. Just don't do it. Like too many fantasy writers want to want to dump all the detail at the beginning and you're just slogging your reader. You can do some exposition and some, some, you know, telling, but do it later on. Do it when there's a pause in the, a natural pause in the action. Um, there's places for it and there's ways to do it, but always as with any of these rules, always it's important to question question your use of adjectives, question your use of passive voice, question your use of telling, is this the right way to do it? And if you come up with the answer, yes, this is going to be the best way for me to do it, then by all means, go ahead and do it. Yeah, definitely. As long as you're engaging with it critically, like I say, asking them questions, making sure that you justify any usage of these things, then you can't go wrong, really. So hopefully our little rambling conversation there has been of some use to you um i think the main thing to take away from what we've been saying is don't pay attention to people who say never do this never do that understand the rule and then see how it works for you uh, what do you think jm how would you summarize yeah, I think you're right. And I would go further and I would say understand the guideline because that's what all that's what these rules these rules are not rules. They're not f- firm rules that you can't break. They're guidelines. Yeah. In a, in a in a in a in a basic common situation, you should not use passive voice. That doesn't mean don't use passive voice. It just means the guideline is generally speaking, avoid passive voice. Generally speaking, avoid too many adjectives and adverbs. Generally speaking, avoid telling versus showing. But they're guidelines, and there's times when you're going to break it because the alternative is what works better for your pros at the moment. Definitely. Oh, and uh, speaking of uh, pros, I do have a little bit of publishing news. Uh, My novella, my fantasy novella, Dangerous Games, which was originally uh, published in episodic format by Altered Reality Magazine, uh, is finally going to be up on Amazon here soon. Hopefully, by the time this podcast is posted, you'll be able to purchase an ebook copy of uh, my novella, Dangerous Games, which is directly, it's almost a direct prequel to uh, 
my short story novel in the Valley of Magic. So more to follow on that, but hopefully I'll be able to leave a link with this, with this uh, podcast on YouTube. Nice. Congratulations, Juan, as well. Thank you. Another book out there. Keep grinding. How many is that Keep now? Grinding. What's that? How many books is that now? Uh, at least six, I think. Nice. You're flying. Yeah, I try. And uh, in a few months' time as well, we'll have our novels out for of Metal and Magic. Yep. Uh, late summer, early fall, we're looking for our looking to start our publishing put push for of Metal and Magic, which is going to be all of the uh, collaborative authors going to start releasing their first uh, books in their series, their respective series. So should have five or six new of metal and magic volumes coming out uh, towards the end of the year, which is going to be exciting. Yeah. Including my own, just doing the last read through now, halfway through starting to get a bit apprehensive, but I think it's a good story. So we'll see. How it's we get really going to be interesting to see how you see our story verse finally out there in the wild with all the different texts that are all related to each other and see how readers pick that up. And then speaking of which, when we start uh, marketing our of metal and magic releases, I'm going to build a website and I'm looking for short fiction and fan fiction related to our story verse. So if there's any, uh, any writers out there that are looking for a venue, uh, look me up and, if you want to dive into our world and write a little piece for our for our our shared universe to publish on our website, I'm I'm looking for a few com- cl- contributors. Yeah, definitely, and that might lead to other opportunities with our publisher fiction vortex as well. Yeah. So never know, guys. All right then. Well, it's been great chatting with you again, JM. I think uh, you're all safe and well over there in South Korea now. You're out of lockdown, are you? Oh yeah, I just went to a coffee shop yesterday. It was it was amazing. Oh my God. That sounds like <laughs> a heinous act where I'm from. How dare you leave the house? I did get a little paranoid though because uh when we when I first got there um meeting with some friends, it was empty and then by mid-afternoon it was packed and I was like, okay, now there's too many people and they are too close to me. I need to get out of here. Yeah, get your hazmat suit back on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, stay safe anyway. Yeah, you too. And, uh, stay safe, everyone else out there as well. Just keep up uh, whatever you do in isolation. It's good, grim times for everyone. But good time to get the it. writing in. Keep up with the yeah, writing. Definitely, yeah. Um, so, as always, please spread the word about this podcast. Anyone you know who you think would appreciate it, just tell them about it. Um, give it a share. Give it a like. Give it a subscribe. Comment on YouTube, comment on Facebook. We want to hear from you. If you got questions, yeah. let us know. Definitely. Like we're open to tackling any subject. So just let us know what you want us to do and we'll do it. So on that note, goodbye from me. Yep. And see you next time. Bye-bye.